Father, I ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. You alone are our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning as we begin our journey through the season of Lent as a parish family. Um, our gospel reading today from Mark chapter 1 um, is interesting. It's a familiar story, the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, but Mark is especially concise in terms of details and what he highlights. Um, and I want to look at this morning uh, some of that frame that Mark gives us, the temptation of Jesus. Um, and you'll note that Mark is one of those gospels that gives us time indicators throughout. Um, I like Mark. Mark is not a patient man. Over and over again, Mark says immediately, immediately this, immediately that. If you are looking to read through one of the gospels to learn about Jesus for the first time, um, I would recommend the gospel of Mark. You can read it straight through. It's short, to the point. It's full of action. And so here in our passage, um, we're going to get one of these immediately right from the bat. Um, immediately after his baptism, Jesus says, immediately the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, drove him into the wilderness. And he was with the wild animals. And the angels were ministering to him. And this event in the life of our Lord is foundational for this season, the season of Lent. Um, first, uh, this passage, this account, uh, marks out for us the, the shape of Lent. Um, the idea that we would spend 40 days uh, drawing near to the Lord, we draw from this example of Jesus. He spends 40 days fasting in the wilderness. Um, we spend 40 days, not counting Sundays, um, in fasting, but really concentrating on our relationship uh, with the Lord, uh, directed by and empowered um, by the Holy Spirit. Um, secondly, this uh, shows us that even for Jesus, this was a difficult time. Uh, this temptation is real. Um, the hunger and the weakness that he felt um, weren't hypothetical. Um, and I take comfort in that because um, I have, <laughs> you may be able to tell, I don't have the spiritual gift of fasting. <laughs> um, when I fast, um, what it usually reminds me is how dependent and frail and weak I am. Uh, like on Ash Wednesday, I, I tried to fast. Maybe you tried to fast on Ash Wednesday. And about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I was just grumpy. And like it's amazing how going without food for just one or two meals um, will strip away our pretensions about ourselves and remind us that we are indeed dependent, um, that we are creatures and we are weak. We're in need of the Lord's help. And so I think one of the things we become aware of um, during this season is actually our weakness, um, our need for the Lord, for his strength, for his um, empowering. And usually if you set some ambitious goals for this season, ways to engage the Lord during Lent, um, instead of winning Lent, uh, once you get going for a few days, you'll figure out, oh man, I need the Lord and I need his grace and his mercy. It's his strength, not my own. Um, that is really active in the Christian life. Um, there's a priest up in Chicago, uh, Aaron Damiani. He's an Anglican priest. Um, he wrote a book called The Good of Giving Up about how to approach Lent. And he says, when we practice Lent in the spirit of Jesus, it's not about making God happy or looking spiritual or repeating empty traditions. It's not a power move or a forced march. Jesus and the great cloud of witnesses in the church 
show us that Lent is about Jesus and therefore about love. And the Holy Spirit um, delights to use this season, if we, if we go with Jesus in this season, uh, to use fasting and prayer and generosity to satisfy us with God, with his presence, um, with his love. And as a result, we're moved to share um, that with others as well. Um, as we fast from lesser things, we feast on the Lord, on the things of God, on his presence and goodness. And we invite the Holy Spirit to fill us even as our bellies are empty at times during Lent. Um, now, I've often described Lent as a spiritual spring cleaning. Um, and like fasting, I'm not very good at cleaning either, if I'm honest. Maybe, maybe you're better at this. Um, but who here attempts spring cleaning? Okay, a few people. <laughs> the rest of you just keep it together all the time. Way to go. <laughs> uh, some of us need that focus season um, to kind of get things back in order. And I know my life moves so fast that things get cluttered and out of place. And it's just eventually once a year, you got to stop and pause, take stock, and figure out what projects need to be done. Um, Lent can be like that. Uh, but again, if you're like me, I'll, I'll make the list. Here's all the things that need to be done during spring cleaning. And I'll find a time, maybe spring break, maybe when we have a little bit of a lull, go, all right, I'm going to spend that week doing all the spiritual spring cleaning, all the actual spring cleaning. And I get up on Monday and like I do one of them. And I'm like, ha way to go. <laughs> Check something off the list. And the next day I might like half do another one. And then by Wednesday, I'm like, you know what? I gave it a good effort. <laughs> um, and <laughs> it just kind of fizzles out. Um, I, I would just say Lent can feel like that for us. We can have grand intentions for this season of spending time with the Lord. Um, and and the, the idea is that we're going to find out pretty quickly um, <laughs> that even though um, our spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. And that's one of the lessons of Lent, um, that our flesh is weak. And that actually the Lord comes and meets us in the midst of our weakness and has walked through weakness ahead of us here in this time of fasting and temptation. Hebrews tells us um, that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one that in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Um, and so we turn to the one who is tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin, um, for redemption and strength and life in the season uh, of Lent. And so let's look at this passage a little bit. Um, it is the story of temptation, and it follows his baptism. But I just want to suggest that the way Mark uh, and the Gospels put these together is instructive. And we actually get hints of creation and new creation as we look through this story of creation and temptation. Um, the first thing we do is we, we follow Jesus um, into the wilderness, if you will, during these 40 days of Lent. Um, and there is, there's a whole lot we can learn about our temptation here, our own sin, our own weakness. But make no mistake, this is a unique event. <laughs> this is Jesus. We're, we're not him. He, he actually meets uh, the evil one. Um, and there's a supernatural showdown between Jesus and the devil right in Mark chapter 1. Right at the start of the story of Jesus and what he did for us and for our salvation um, and I love to just start to get the hints of how this is similar to Genesis and how it's very different. Um, and the first thing I think about 
is that in the book of Genesis, um, you have temptation, right? The first few chapters. Um, everything is made, and it's good, and uh, humanity is made, and it's very good. We're made in the, in the very image of God. And the next thing you know, there's this serpent just sneaking into the garden for temptation, right? Right off the bat. Um, here, there's nothing sneaking in. There's nothing slinking in for temptation. We're actually told that the Holy Spirit actively sends Jesus on a collision course with Satan. Um, God is being proactive here to begin this supernatural uh, showdown. There's a battle that Jesus has come to fight. Um, and I think what Mark wants them to know is that maybe the, Jesus, the battle that Jesus came to fight um, is the fight that needs fighting, but might not have been the one that they were fixated on. I mean, if you were a good Jewish person in the first century, um, you were longing for God to act, for him to do something, for him to fight something, and it was your enemies <laughs> to come and to fight the Romans, um, to do away with them. Um, and instead, Jesus comes and, and actually has this command to love your enemies, and he submits to them, but he did come to fight. He came to fight the greater opponents of sin and death and the devil. And so right here at the start, Mark is like, make no mistake about what this battle is. It's with the evil one. It's undoing the sin introduced in Genesis. It's undoing the death introduced in Genesis um, to bring victory and life and goodness. Um, and so immediately after his baptism, Jesus is sent on uh, this collision course. Um, we're told over and over again in the Gospel of Mark who this Jesus is. Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man uh, came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That underscores the entire Gospel, that this is a cosmic rescue operation, and this is a supernatural showdown uh, with Satan. And this temptation is kind of the first battle. I mean, you guys have all read literature or watched movies. You've always got a big conflict in the first act, right? And then it kind of lingers and you wait to see how it will be resolved. Mark introduces this first main conflict is with Satan and with the effects of sin and the tragedy of the garden in Genesis. Um, it, it's actually curious. Mark's not the only gospel that writes about the temptation, is he? But usually what do you get? You, you get this blow-by-blow -blow description Satan tempted him this way, and Jesus said this. He answers it with Scripture. Satan said this, and Jesus did this. Um, here, Mark is not as concerned with what tempts Jesus, but who? It's his confrontation um, with Satan. It's very concise. Um, and I think, again, a lot of this has to do with the sequence that Mark is setting up. And so how did Deacon Text start our reading? With the baptism of Jesus. And you're like, wait, I thought we were done with Epiphany and him moved to Lent. <laughs> We start with the baptism of Jesus, and then right after that, immediately after that baptism is when, when this temptation comes. Again, I think all of this is evoking Genesis. Think about Genesis uh, chapter 1. Um, we're told, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Well, if you look at verse 10 in Mark 1, it says that when he, Jesus, came up out of the water, immediately he saw the Spirit uh, descending on him like a dove. It's this creation scene. It's new creation. 
And just like after the creation of Adam and Eve in his image, God said, it is very good. Here, a voice comes from heaven. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And we then expect the, and then they lived happily ever after. But no, the next step is that immediately the Spirit sends him on this collision course with Satan and with temptation and with weakness and with hardship. Mark wants us to know that in every way that Adam failed, Jesus will succeed. Everything that Adam cost us, Jesus will recover and redeem. Every way that we follow Adam with our own sin and temptation and weakness, um, the Lord is at work to bring forgiveness, um, to cleanse us and to make us new, conforming us to the image of his son. And even, I mean, if you want to fast forward, we don't have time to go here, but this idea of temptation and failure in the wilderness, well, Israel does the same thing. They're redeemed from Exodus. They go out, meet with the Lord, and then fail and fall in the wilderness Jesus is redeeming that as well. He is summing up all of this failure and taking them out into the wilderness to meet with the evil one. He's going to be tempted. Um, And let me just say a quick word about this temptation itself. Um, A few things to note here. Um, The first is that Jesus is really tempted. And he's really hungry. This isn't like Superman who looks human and isn't. Um, This is Jesus, fully God and fully man, uh, with his belly rumbling, (laughs) with temptation a real possibility. Um, And here, what comes to Jesus um, is the evil one. Uh, We find out in the other gospel accounts uh, that Satan is very specific in his temptations. Uh, he, He knows what buttons to push. And I would teach you that, but we all know that, right? Because the evil one knows which of our buttons to push. What tempts us? What causes us to doubt the goodness of God? What causes us with that ringing in our ears, you are my beloved son or daughter, with you I am well pleased, to seek something else in other places? He's pushing his buttons here. And um, this is from Dr. Tim Keller. Um, He says that this temptation isn't impersonal. There's an actual enemy doing the tempting. Um, The story of Mark sets this up in a very real way. There's a very real Jesus and a very real enemy, and there's this confrontation that takes place. This is not a myth. And I think for some of us, that is jarring because we have this comical image of the devil, right? Little red dude, pitchfork, whatever. I I think the enemy loves that, that we have this ridiculous cartoon version of um, the evil one. Um, Or for some of us, we've gotten really sophisticated. And so we can just psychoanalyze this, right? (laughs) We can dismiss it. Um, We can see Satan as this personification of evil left over from a pre-scientific, superstitious society, but we're smarter now. We might think, oh, well, that's just a symbol. The devil made me do it. That's a way to deflect personal responsibility for evil. But friends, if you believe in a good and personal supernatural being, it's not unreasonable that there would be an evil supernatural being pushing buttons, being active, very malevolent and intelligent. 
Tim Keller sums this up. He says, the Bible says that in the world there are very real forces of evil. And these forces are tremendously complex and intelligent. And I think most of us just underestimate that at all times and in every way. And we're shocked <laughs> when things are hard and difficult and attack comes instead of realizing that that is the way of things. And think about the struggle we see here in the wilderness. Um, I mentioned the word immediately. What I notice is the immediacy of the struggle. I mean, there is an incredible, spiritually significant moment for the Lord Jesus, his baptism. And then right there on the heels of it comes this hardship. Um, it, two things. One, if you're experiencing hardship, um, don't assume that's not part of God's plan. I mean, here the Holy Spirit sends him on this collision course into the wilderness. The second would be if you are actually taking steps um, to grow in your relationship with the Lord. If something spiritually significant occurs, don't be shocked if almost immediately there's an attack to kind of get you back off course. If you've kind of woken up to the things of God, um, the enemy is going to try to put you back to sleep as soon and as quickly as possible. And so here, Jesus is led into the wilderness. I don't know if you've seen pictures or maybe some of you have been to the wilderness in Israel. It's a severe place. I mean, it's, it's not where you want to go. Um, you go out into the wilderness and you look around and it is gray and dry and dusty. And you're like, how could anything live here? Um, and, and to me, it actually looks like a place where things used to live and now, like, it's been, like, blasted in some ways. Like, it's, it's almost like a calamity has befallen the wilderness. And you see, like, some little shrub, like, trying to hold on, like, stubborn little desert plants. Um, and the whole thing is just, like, hills and sharp angles. Um, the couple times I've visited Israel, they take you to the wilderness, and they drive you up on this hill and let you spend time there. Um, and I'm always worried someone's going to fall off the cliff. Like, it's It's dangerous. It's not hospitable. And you're like, why in the world would the Spirit take Jesus here? Um, but that's the invitation, to come into this place that seems incredibly difficult. Tim Keller again says, the wilderness isn't just a random detour into trouble. It's a battleground. It's almost a, it's almost a character in the Scriptures. The wilderness, the struggle, the context for um, this hardship but again, the last thing Jesus hears is, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Um, and I have a conjecture, and it could be wrong, but it's interesting. There's all, all the other gospels tell us how Satan tempted Jesus. Um, and Mark leaves it open. And I wonder if part of what's going on is that that's the thing that Jesus is tempted to doubt first and foremost. Like when it's hard, when the hardship comes, will he doubt the Lord's word? You are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. Will he like Adam say, did God really say? And is that really best? Um, and the good news of that, of course, is Jesus, <laughs> he, he succeeds through this, right? 
he withstands that temptation. Even if you just want to fast forward, if this temptation reminds us of the garden, well, we're going to get another garden in the Gospels, the Garden of Gethsemane. It's another moment that kind of teeters on the brink. Um, another moment of testing and trial. And Jesus prays, if, if this cup can pass from me, let it, but not my will, but yours be done. He, 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 he has his greatest victory we could imagine and then goes to the cross for us and for our salvation. And at every moment of hardship and sin and temptation and weakness and defeat, um, the Lord Jesus brings us his victory. And he shares it with you and he shares it with me. And he says, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter, my beloved child. Um, with you, I am well pleased. And in Lent, all we do during this season, this kind of you know, 40-day season, um, is we go out into the wilderness, in a sense. I mean, we're not actually sent into the wilderness to meet with Satan, thanks be to God. We're sent into the wilderness to spend time with the Lord. And you'll see, if you, if you hang out in the wilderness, it's so sparse and so barren and uncluttered that all you can do is be aware of the Lord's presence and his goodness. It's just a decluttering. And that's what spring cleaning is anyways, right? You just declutter life. So you can focus on the Lord in a very intentional way. Um, we are called to a season of fasting to feast on the things of God, to trust and be reminded of his goodness and his sufficiency. And we don't do this to earn favor with God or to merit anything. We do it from a place of grace. I'm secure knowing that God has redeemed us and saved us. And it reminds us year after year. I want to tell one quick story. Um, we, uh, the last church I served was in, was in Texas. Um, and like a lot of folks here at St. Thomas, we had people coming from all kinds of church backgrounds. They were new to the Anglican church and to following the Book of Common Prayer, the church season, this kind of thing. Um, and every now and then, quite a bit, but every now and then you would get someone and they were going to win at being Anglican. I mean, and they were going to win at Lent. Um, and I just remember this one dear um, young mom. And like, if you looked up type A in the dictionary, it would be her picture. She was so smart, so successful, so driven. She worked with a, a defense contractor there in Dallas. Um, and she was a new Anglican. And she was going to win at being an Anglican. And so I remember her first Lent came around and she set up an appointment and she wanted to come and meet with me about what rule of life she should have during Lent, what discipline she should engage, what things she should fast from. And she showed up and, uh, I mean, I, you can almost imagine like a PowerPoint presentation. She had all these things she was going to do and all these things she was going to do for God. In all these ways, she was going to keep a holy Lent and win at keeping a holy Lent. And she said, what do you think? I said, uh, you have to give up Lent. <laughs> you don't get to do this. Um, and I only bring that up to say, um, you know, we, we, there are traditional ways that the church engages this season. And they are wise um, and they are good. But Lent is not a one-size-fits-all. Um, you should spend time doing an inventory. Where am I right now with the Lord? What would be helpful? 
How, how could I rest in him and in his goodness? What, what season of life am I in right now? Um, the point of this is not to win Lent. The point is to spend time with the Lord, to let him do work in our lives and to engage that in an intentional manner. Um, that's the posture of this season. And that's actually a gift. That's an invitation. We don't have to do Lent. We get to spend time with the Lord and spend this time growing with him. This is not like a weird try-hard season to prove how spiritual we are. Again, if you do that, then about three o'clock on a day of fasting, your tummy's going to be rumbling. You'll snap at somebody and be like, oh yeah, that's okay. That's who I am. And the Lord says, I know, and I know who you are, and I love you. And I'm redeeming you. And by my spirit, I'm making you more and more like my son, Jesus. Aaron Damiani again, Father Aaron says, the season of Lent is a participation in God's life, not an entrance fee into heaven. And our security comes from resting in God's free gift. We get to ask the Lord to do his work in us, to do some spiritual spring cleaning, to renovate, um, not, not all at once, but to take the next step in our life uh, with God. Um, the first time I ever engaged the season of Lent, I turned to the great spiritual master, of course, Bishop N.T. Wright. <laughs> Bishop Wright, how do I engage Lent? What is this thing? I don't get it. Like, <laughs> apparently Lent is about not eating meat on Fridays, and yet my wonderful Catholic friends just have fried oysters. Is that, is that like what we're trying to do? <laughs> I mean, that looks like more of a feast. I don't know. Um, and here's what Bishop Wright says about Lent. It says, Lent is a time for discipline, uh, for confession, for honesty. Not because God is mean or fault-finding or finger-pointing, but because he wants us to know the joy of being clean and the joy of being prepared and ready for all the good things he has in store for us. And here's the last thing I want you to know. If you get serious during this season to engage the things of the Lord, if you take advantage of this time as a parish community uh, for us to grow together and to grow in the things of God, um, you're going to be tempted. And you're going to be attacked. And no sooner will you have resolved to engage this in a new way then just like after the baptism of Jesus when the temptation came, um, you'll notice a quick and immediate attack. Um, please don't be surprised by that. <laughs> um, anticipate it. See that that's a pattern and that we have an enemy, but that we have one who has overcome that enemy and who can lead us and share in that victory with us. Stand firm, resting in the goodness of God. <laughs> the knowledge that we don't fight this in our own strength. We can't. But the Lord has fought this for us. And the Lord shares his victory over sin, death, and the devil with us. And we can have faith and confidence that this has uh, surely been defeated. And one day, <laughs> the goodness of God will flood and renew his creation. It will fill everything like the waters fill the sea. And at that time, we will see the kingdom come fully in power and goodness, and glory, and beauty, and we will share in that goodness. That is our hope. And so during this season of Lent, let us once again linger in the wilderness, 
Not by playing with our sin or engaging the evil one, but by lingering with Christ, by learning from him, by spending time uh, with him, by seeing even the fast that we might engage, not as the time of dryness or hunger, but an opportunity to fast from less important things so that we can feast on the presence and provision of God, reminded that we are his sons and his daughters. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, our God, grant us grace, we pray, to desire you with our whole heart, that desiring you, we may seek you, seeking you, we may find you, finding you, we may love you, and that loving you, we may hate those sins from which you have delivered us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.